The aftermath of nonviolence is the creation of the beloved community. Let us never fight with falsehood and violence and hate and malice, but always fight with love so that when the day comes that the walls of segregation have completely pumped, we will be able to live with people as their brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Beloved Community Podcast, brought to you by KUAF and the Northwest Arkansas Martin Luther King Jr. Council. The Beloved Community Podcast is designed with community in mind. We seek to highlight individuals and organizations that strive to build Dr. King's beloved community in the Northwest Arkansas region, the state of Arkansas, and beyond. Each month, you'll hear from leaders in our community working to combat poverty, racism, and equality, and promote the ideals of the beloved community where injustice ceases and love prevails. Be inspired to join the movement. Good afternoon, Northwest Arkansas. We greet you from KUAF Studios from beautiful downtown Fayetteville. I am Chris Seawood, treasurer of the Northwest Arkansas OMLK Council. Uh, and on behalf of the MLK Council, we welcome you to our sixth episode, I believe, of the beloved community podcast. Um, we are glad to have our next guest here, who's a dear friend of mine. Um, here on the podcast, here to talk to us today, um, none other than the illustrious Monique Jones. Um, good morning. Good Thank morning. you for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. Just briefly, if you are not familiar with Monique Jones and the work that she does, um, Minister Monique Jones proudly serves as Director of Outreach for the historic St. James Missionary Baptist Church here in Fayetteville. She leads one of the fastest growing pantry operations, which serves all of North, Northwest Arkansas. She uses her learned experience with Kaizen to improve the processes, such as purchasing, logistics, and shipping, receiving, to streamline the food pantry day-to-day operations. She also serves as the first vice president of the Northwest Arkansas NAACP and board president of the Arkansas Support Network. Monique has a strong passion to advocate for equal rights for all people in order to challenge race-based discrimination and provide connection between BIPOC communities to access resources. Minister Jones has dedicated herself to bridge building of service through interfaith connectivity, political activism, and commitment to community uplift. Her service as the director of the St. James Missionary Baptist Church Food Pantry has helped to tackle food insecurity in Northwest Arkansas. Her impact regionally has led to the growth of the food footprint of service throughout the region, improved cultural connections, and bridges to understanding in the faith community and beyond. Originally from Minden, Louisiana, and resided most of her adult life in Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, Monique graduated from North, Northwood University with a Bachelor's of Business Administration. Monique has worked concurrently in human resources for more than 20 years. She recently started her own business, CPR North NWA, offering life coaching and case management to provide training, coaching, and life mapping through authentic business principles. Again, it's our pleasure to welcome mm, Monique Jones. Thank you for having me this morning. Super welcome, excited. Monica. That's a little nickname I have for it for y'all that are like, you just switched her name. What is all that about? 
Because I answer to everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, Monique, again, welcome. So, uh, again, I'm just happy for this opportunity to have you on the podcast. I know I've talked to you about having you on for a while. Um, so just tell me, tell us, tell our audience uh, just a little bit about your personal journey and what's really motivated you to become a leader in the nonprofit sector? What really motivated you to just get engaged in the nonprofit sector? Uh, personally, I love people. Mm -hmm. I've been, um, when I wrote the bio, I think I was in HR then. Um, 25 years of HR, I was talking to somebody yesterday. Uh, actually, this morning, I was talking to a PhD student that volunteers with us, and I was saying I didn't understand why I was where I was earlier in life, but it all resonates to why I'm here now. Mm -hmm. um, the skills that I obtained, the people I interacted with from my managers in manufacturing, working in transportation for 10 years, working in human resources in different places from banks to car dealerships, I um, use a lot of my knowledge to learn how to advocate in those spaces for individuals that are oppressed or that there's um, they're shut out in those fields. So I look back and thought, mm, I'm glad I was there because I know how to advocate for this. Oh, I'm glad I was there and now I know how this works and the, what the rules say and what the compliance that they have to meet in these areas. So my background is in HR, but I was an HR manager in different fields of life. I do want to say um, I also have a child with a disability and I understand that she has barriers too. Mm. And so once again, it just expands my breadth of advocating for community members because I have to do it for my own child. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm. And so what specifically brought you to the Northwest Arkansas area? Um, I was an HR manager in a manufacturing facility in Dallas-Fort Worth, mm -hmm. um, American Air Filter. Um, we shut down all the production there and moved production here to Northwest Arkansas. Mm -hmm. And so I, I signed a two-year stay agreement. <laughs> Ten years later, I'm still here. Um, but it was, it's, it was great for her. It was great for us because we like, we're, um, like riding bikes, like trails, like being outside. Um, my mom calls Dallas kids concrete kids. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's good for us to be able to get out in nature and um, spend time as a family outside. Mm -hmm. mm. And so having matriculated here from the Dallas-Fort Worth metro area, what is it as you moved here and got to engage in the community as you gain more insights, what is it that really motivated you to get engaged um, as you did and, and have been since you've, since you've been here? I saw and I continue to see different levels of adverse impact to mm -hmm. different populations in this community. Mm -hmm. And... Um, to individuals here, it's business as usual. That's mm -hmm. the way we've that's the way we've always done it. Mm -hmm. But it if it causes an adverse impact to an oppressed population of individuals, maybe it's not being done right. Mm -hmm. And I saw that continually in different spaces where I went, whether it was in the library or it was with transportation, or whether it was with access to food. I continued to see it in these different spaces, but it it became normalized until the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And 
then it exposed all that was already there all the, the whole time. Food insecurity didn't start three years ago during the pandemic in 2020. Mm-hmm. I can guarantee you it's always been there, but it was highlighted a lot of these differences of access to internet, mm-hmm. to food, to transportation were exposed in the pandemic, mm-hmm. but I always saw it here. Mm-hmm. And, um, I always wanted to be in that space to advocate for that person that needed that access, but nobody was trying to help them get it. Mm-hmm. Can you talk more about that, particularly what you saw during the pandemic? Um, and you, and as you mentioned, it was always here, but how, how did the pandemic um, really rip the Band-Aid off, if you will, to, to cause that to be more exposed. I'm going to give you my, um, one of my go-tos is I moved here in 2012. I worked for American Air Filter over in the industrial park in 2012, and my biggest issue, I always try to tackle what are the problems and how can I solve them. I don't just like talking about the problems. Mm-hmm. I like going down that rabbit hole trying to solve them. And my biggest problem was my turnover issue was tardiness or absences. Mm-hmm. But I said, I I thought you guys had a transit system here, Ozark Regional Transit. So I just picked up the phone and called Joel Gardner, and I said, hey, we're not the only ones over here in the industrial park. You have Superior, you have Hannah's Candles, you have American Air Filter, you got the post office. How is it there's no transit going down here? Mm. And he said, it's a good question. I said, I understand it takes a lot to have a transit agency run 24 hours. It's not what I'm asking for. I had three shifts, 7 to 3, 3 to 11, 11 to 7. Mm-hmm. Just help some of the people get to work. Mm-hmm. And he did. He reevaluated, um, bought Jeff out. They did some analysis, and they put a route down in the industrial park. That was in 2012. Here, 2023, I just met last week, at the city council transportation department and asked the question, why are we cutting transit still in South Fayetteville? Mm. Um, in August, the 1st of August, we did our back to school event. And with that back to school event, you had a, and one was at Walker Park. Mm-hmm. And what I called and asked was, how can we get a bus two miles from Rock Street to Walker Park? Mm-hmm. And the answer was, there is no transportation that we can provide on a Saturday for that population in that area because there's no routes. Mm. I'm thinking, where do I live? Yeah, yeah. I know for a fact that population in that community falls in the Census Data Bureau information of black, BIPOC, and minority underserved community. How is it that we're not serving them? But it takes me to back to coming back to twenty to twenty twelve when I got here. Why are we still having this conversation? Mm-hmm. How is it that you don't see that? And the answer is, well, the city gives us funding and the city draws these maps. But when I went to the meeting, there was not a resolution. I'm still going down this rabbit hole trying to find out how can we connect this community with access to transportation. So if you're a mother, you work eight to five, Monday through Friday, you're off on the weekend, and your child gets sick on Saturday and you need to get on the transit to go to the hospital, you have no transit. Mm. If you need to go to the grocery store, you have no transit. Mm -hmm. 
If you need to take them to get a haircut, there's no transportation. Mm -hmm. We're talking about basic. I need to go to the grocery store and I don't have access to transportation. The one thing that I said that is the majority of the individuals that live in South Fayetteville in that area where transit is not there were probably living here before some of them was born. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We have members of our church that have lived in South Fayetteville for their lifetime. Mm-hmm. They are, I'm transient. I moved here. They have lived here, and it's become a norm that, well, they don't run in this area. No, that's not a norm. Mm-hmm. Under the Department of Transportation, as well as the Federal Transit Act, they're supposed to be doing evaluations to ensure that they are serving underserved populations. But I, it just it just weighs on me is, 10 years later, why am I still having this conversation? Mm-hmm. We're not this great community that's providing resources all the time to everyone. Mm-hmm. But... I can bet you when these students get here, you'll see these buses moving for the right people, the right time. Yeah. Game day, you'll see buses everywhere. Yeah, yeah. But what about the population that lives here every day? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Wow. That's a great highlight and shows how the there's still a level of disenfranchisement that exists, even in um, supposed um, um wealthy uh, areas such as a north northwest arkansas hi i'm lowell taylor and i'm dustin mcgowan and we're the host of the r word a podcast about reparations in the church in northwest arkansas on the next episode we listened to a sermon called what to white people is juneteenth that i gave at grace church in june and then our guest Betty Wilton and I will discuss what we heard and what we hope from Lowell's sermon. You can listen to The R Word for free on KUAF.com or anywhere you get your podcast. So how has your, um, so how has your mission and your values been influenced by your, um, by your own backgrounds and experiences? Um, I grew up in a fairly rural area in Linden, Louisiana. Absolutely grew up on a land. We had our own gardens, but we also were a tight-knit community. We barter services a lot. Uh, We grew cucumbers and tomatoes, and the Stanleys grew corn and potatoes. And my grandma would say, take these cucumbers up there, and you bring me some potatoes back from Miss Stanley. So we as a community were very close-knit, and we were very tight, and we looked out for each other. I can tell you, if you didn't have something to eat, they would just go, go up there to the Williams. They'll give you a plate, and then you come on back. That wasn't a worry of mine because... Community was just that. I didn't have to worry about it. There was not anyone in 10 miles north, south, east, or west that I didn't know or my grandmother didn't know. My grandmother also was a midwife, and so she delivered a lot of people in the community. We didn't have to worry about housing because we owned land and we had houses on our land, and we housed others. And I think about um, St. James being here since 1865, and how some of the first African-Americans that were accepted at the University of Arkansas could attend the university but could not stay on campus. Mm -hmm. And so as a church, we housed, once again, as a community, Mm -hmm. we housed individuals so they could go to college because we weren't allowed to live there. Mm -hmm. Um, Fast forward in my my adult life, I moved to Dallas when I was 18, stayed there until I was 40. 
my mom, she always said my thoughts and my dreams were bigger than Louisiana. Mm. And so she was right. And I wanted to just drop, just dive in this great city and find out what was everything about. I wanted to know, learn everything. So I did. I rode transit for 10 years. Even when I worked for Dallas Area Tra- Rapid Transit, um, as an employee, they encouraged us to ride transit for the ozone. They encouraged us to carpool. And I have seen, I was there before they started Light Rail. I was part of the Light Rail startup with Dallas Area Rapid Transit. And I can tell you, we see transportation here in Northwest Arkansas and access as, well, they're doing it because the homeless need it. I see true transit in Dallas because I see true community as well. Everybody catches transit. It's, it's not just, I'm going to make it this route for these homeless so they can get over here, and I'm going to make it for, and I'm, I'm going to make it for game day. It's not yeah. what it's about. Yeah. It serves everybody. Serves it serves the community. Mm-hmm. So, so that was very formative in my life to work for that organization. And they were also quasi, which they got funding from the city, and they also get federal funding. Mm-hmm. So I was able to see that piece, too. Um, and how they served the community, it wasn't we're doing it to check the corporate responsibility box. We're doing it because we're now going to run a bus through your community. We're going to um, work on your greenery. We're going to work on paths. We're going to work on sidewalks. We're going to make sure we do this safely. Yeah. And I love the fact that they led with that. It wasn't a reactive thing. It wasn't a response to somebody getting hit or hurt. It was... We're coming into your community. They had community meetings over and over and over again to ensure everybody knew they were coming. They knew the safe spots. They knew the routes. They knew the crossing. They were intentional about community. And if we're going to come in and impact your community or even improve your community, where would you like the trees? Where would you like the sidewalks? How do they connect to the schools? They were very intentional. That also was part of So my role at at the transit agency was human resources. And so I hired bus operators, train operators. um, I hired administrators. I hired executive office. I hired the the back team. But one thing that I always wanted to do was I wanted to learn more about what they did in order for me to recruit the right person to fit that job. So I would go out and ride the buses, and I'd go out and ride the transit, and I'd go out with the police officers. I wanted to know how are we serving and who will fit into that category well. Mm. Mm. So do you feel that there's potentially a lack of that engagement um, or I don't know if this is the right term or of empathetic response maybe from some government officials or not taking it into consideration maybe their own lived experiences uh, potentially with making certain decisions here in the region? Could that be I hundred I 100% agree. That's it. Mm-hmm. It's us and them. There's a college divide. Mm-hmm. There's the university over here on the right side of college, and then that's them over there mm-hmm. on the left side of college. Mm-hmm. Where's community? Where do you bring those two together on a consistent basis mm-hmm. to make everybody feel like this is one? Mm-hmm. I had an opportunity this year to go to, actually I've went to three times to one community in, in Austin, and they have a tiny home property. 
and they have a statement that says houses don't solve homelessness, community solves homelessness. Mm, mm, That's what we're lacking. Yeah, that's good. Where do you see South Fayetteville consistently come together with everybody on the right side of college, from downtown Fayetteville interaction to the arts to the college? Where do you see a consistent community collaboration? We may do it every once now and then, and it's not always welcoming, and it's not always a safe space of what we create to become community. First Thursday is great. I love it. It's not for everybody. Our library is fabulous. I am going to always be an advocate for them, but it's not always a welcoming space. It's not a safe space for everyone. How do we create safe space around this entire community that's safe for anybody to walk in and feel like they're not going to be harassed. The police is not going to be called on them when they come in or else when they leave. They're not going to be followed or watched just because they entered your space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in your estimation, your opinion, humbly, um, maybe hopefully this doesn't catch you too off guard, what is or what would be your opinion on a solution or some solutions to creating better senses um, of belonging, um, if you will. I think I, I think I wanted to envision that for our food pantry. Mm-hmm. And that's why I started. Mm-hmm. I can't point the finger out without the three pointing back at me. So how do I do the work myself and create an environment that people go, well, I want to model that. Yeah. That's the St. James Food Pantry and I will forever say it is a community pantry. You, you can come in. I was explaining to someone yesterday. You can come into the food pantry and you receive retired doctors, retired nurses, yeah. retired principals of schools. Yeah. You could see someone that's homeless. You can see someone that's working. You can see someone that's coming during their lunch break. You can see someone from different races, different backgrounds, different nationalities, different parts of town. I have people that drive here from Prairie Grove and Lincoln to volunteer at our food pantry. There's atheists, there's agnostic, there's Methodists, there's Baptists, there's Mormons. We're all there because we're here for one thing, and that's to feed our community. LGBTQIA. That's right. Everybody is there, and nobody wears a title. Everybody loves each other, but we're there to serve our community. Just, just creating that lends to the fact it can happen. Mm-hmm. The doors have to be open for it. People have to be flexible and understand that there's going to be some times that you may interact with someone that has some mental health issues. That's, that's a little bit of everybody. We all got some mental health issues, let's mm-hmm. be honest about it. But because someone um, is either coming down from drugs or a mental health issue doesn't mean they don't belong. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they don't get access to food. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of things at the food pantry, but it does not mean I did not serve them mm-hmm. and serve them well. Yeah. Like, are you going to be able to cook a whole turkey? Do you have an oven? Asking just simple questions like, how can I help you? And people will tell me, I can't take a lot of fruit. I'm homeless. I don't want it to turn bad. Just give me a little fruit, some sandwiches. I can find a microwave around town. I'd rather serve you well Mm -hmm. than serve you and say, get out of my face. That's not what it's about. 
because if you serve them well, they'll also want to serve you in the community. Mm -hmm. So people come back and go, how can I volunteer? Mm -hmm. This is great work you're doing, and I want to be able to give back. I mean, from individuals around the community say, hey, can I clean up around the church? Do you mind if I cut the grass? Do you mind if I blow? Do you mind if I pick up trash? Because what we're doing here as a community, we want to take care of each other. And so I don't do it alone. I do it alongside my neighbors. Yeah. Because they are my neighbors yeah. and they are my community. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of still on that uh, train of thought, so what partnerships, collaborations, mm-hmm. et cetera, um, have been or are still now crucial uh, to your success? I'm just going to tell you, and I'm going to be honest, I hate the question. I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> I always forget somebody. <laughs> well, I mean, you can be but, general. But I'm, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to go down the list. Um, huge collaboration started three years ago with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. President, state, that then at that time he's no longer president. The state president, Alden Galden, reached out to me the beginning of the pandemic and said, how can we help? Mm-hmm. What can we do? But he didn't just come in. He bought a freezer. He first bought a freezer, and he said, I want to come to church. He came to church. He goes, I want you to invite you over for dinner. Then I want you to come out to my house and watch fireworks. I mean, a lot of people, they call me friend. They never invited me to their house. Mm. So really, you my associate to tell the truth. <laughs> but he wanted to build a relationship with me and the church and saying, I'm not coming over just dropping my money and just say, check, I helped the black church and I'm going to go on about my way. Mm. He built a relationship, and we've been building on the relationship for years now. Mm. We play pickleball together with Mormons at 7.30 a.m. at Walker Park. They still come over and volunteer on Tuesdays and help load food boxes in cars. If I need them to help with community projects, they're there for the back-to-school event. That's just one of my relationships that I wanted to start with. Um, St. Paul Episcopal Church, great partners. And I love the fact that they are community partners and neighbors and friends. And um, under any other circumstance, I don't know that I would ever met some of these individuals without food insecurity, exposure, and them wanting to help. Uh, Another community partner, which is huge and... um, he gave me a hard time initially, but Sheriff Helder at the time, I asked, could the sheriffs come over because they were not working during COVID. Mm-hmm. They had um, minimized staff. Could they help deliver food? And so we decided as a food pantry, we would address a barrier, which was transportation during the pandemic, and deliver to every Fayetteville Housing Authority property. Three years later, we're still delivering to the Fayetteville Housing Authority property. Not only did it start out being um, a delivery, but it's also teaching community policing. Mm -hmm. You get to know your neighbors. You knock on my door a couple of times with a box, you'll get to know that person. And not just that person, they have allowed some of the 509s, which are federal prisoners, to come and help pack food boxes and help with delivery. That's helping with recidivism. That helps with community. Once again, here we go. They feel like they're part of something. They're giving back. It's not a, I'm doing community service and check the box. I can't wait till I go to the food pantry, see Monique and the team, pack the boxes, go out to Grandview. It's 
it's more than just a relationship. It really becomes community again. Um, the same with Fayetteville Police Department. Fayetteville Police Department helped start help us deliver food over at High Point. Um, we also created relationships with New Heights Baptist Church, which, I mean, New Heights Church. We already had a relationship with New Heights, but we expanded that relationship, and they have been partners this entire pandemic, and we're still working together, mm-hmm. still working together, just kind of trying to go down the list. UAMS has become a better partner. Mm-hmm. I want to be transparent that they were not initially. Mm-hmm. But that required a lot of work. Mm-hmm. But that's, with any relationship, what does it require? It requires putting in that work of making phone calls, showing up to the meetings, calling me back, including me, including us in grants, including, including us in the conversation. Don't talk about us without us. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. That's just a few. I know I have missed about 10 or 15 more. Please forgive me, everyone. Yeah. She apologizes in advance. I do, I do, I do. Don't, don't cut her off at the knees. Please It's don't. my fault I asked the question. I know. <laughs> so, so what specific challenges, Monique, or opportunities do you believe arise or have arisen, um, specifically you from your intersectionality as a black individual, individual but honestly, honestly more so as a black woman, um, and a nonprofit leader, um, specifically in Northwest Arkansas, as you have navigated um, in all of these sectors with sheriff's offices, police offices, government officials, um, other community organizations, hospital, medical organizations. Um, Talk to us about those challenges and opportunities that you faced, how you've overcome them, have you overcome them, how do you... Well, Chris, do you I hit the wall? Do you, <laughs> I, 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 um, do you sip a drink? I mean, <laughs> I believe in telling the truth and shaming the devil, so I don't have to remember a lie. So I'm gonna tell you the biggest issue with majority of nonprofits are lack of access to funding. Mm-hmm. Um, I faced that when I originally started, um, and I didn't talk about this much when I originally started as the director for the food pantry is I noticed that funding was being available. Mm, I'm not going to cut corners. Funding was available to other minorities, and we were not seen as a minority in Northwest Arkansas. Mm -hmm. So what you see is Hispanics, Marshallese, Mm -hmm. we just here. So I saw a lot of funding sources closer toward the beginning of the pandemic being poured in those spaces and we were getting crumbs from the table. Mm-hmm. It's 2023 and we're still getting crumbs. Mm-hmm. Now, am I gonna fight and advocate for more? I'm gonna keep showing up. I'm gonna keep knocking down the door. I'm gonna keep sitting at the table and asking for more because we're doing the same level of work. Yeah. Yeah. Your crumbs shouldn't be checking the box. Your crumb should be funding organizations that's boots on the ground doing the work every single day. And one minority shouldn't be excluded because they're not complaining and because they've been here. 
Why do I have to relocate here in order to get some funding? Why do I have to relocate my whole village here to get some funding? That shouldn't be. We should recognize when there's a disparate impact to any population of oppressed individuals that are underserved and marginalized. Mm -hmm. It's number one, I wanted to talk about funding. Another thing, um, lack of representation in leadership positions. Mm -hmm. I try to be honest. Don't invite me at the table to be the quiet black girl. Mm -hmm. I'm not her. Mm -hmm. I like leadership roles because I want my voice to be heard. If you want me there to check your box, don't invite me. Mm -hmm. You have to know that we were born brilliant and made in his image, and we, too, have granular ideas mm -hmm. that we can also move the needle with. But we have to be allowed to be in those leadership positions. Yeah. The glass ceiling is still there. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't mention this earlier, but I'll mention it now. I have seven children, nine grandchildren. Eight of my nine grandchildren are girls. It's hard being a black female in this world. Oh, yeah. So what I do is reinforce, you are brilliant. There's nothing you can't do. What do you want to learn? What do you want to do? Because people will tear you down your whole life and go, well, you don't know all that. Mm -hmm. It's hard for a black female to leave a non lead a nonprofit. We're not given the same respect as a black male, even. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of barriers that we have to move in order to get to that position. The next thing I want to talk about is microaggressions and discrimination. Mm -hmm. We don't just res deal with that from funders. We deal with that from coworkers, mm -hmm. from our colleagues, mm -hmm. from leaders. Mm -hmm. Some unknowingly, some knowingly. Mm -hmm. I deal with that um, just the basic, even going to Walmart or going to Sam's, going into the Washington County Courthouse to, for the quorum court meeting standing up to say something and he says, oh, meeting adjourned when we have still five minutes and you could allow me to say something. Mm. It's those little microaggressions that make you think their system is still working the way it was designed. Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's the county saying, I'm going to make every nonprofit apply for some ARPA funds, American Rescue Plan Act funds, mm fill out the application, deny them all, and still keep the money and said, literally their intent was never to give funding to nonprofits. Mm -hmm. They were really trying to save the money to build the jail. Mm -hmm. Well, now they don't have the jail. They're saving the money to build another emergency organization. But guess what? Another individual came in there that had a nonprofit, white male, was handed money, never completed an application, over $100,000. I'm going to go back just a minute. You build an application that costs us over 35000 of county months. That, that's my money because I pay county mm -hmm. taxes, too. Mm -hmm. And then we don't use the application and we don't fund anyone. It's microaggressions like that that wears on you mentally, physically, and psychologically to think, how do I keep going back into this space? So I have to feel myself. If you haven't seen me in a while in the space, don't think I ain't coming back. Just trying to get ready for what's going to hit me when it comes. Mm -hmm. 
it's things like that that um, I don't think even new nonprofits understand you will face if you want to stay in this game. It's part of the game. It was built not for us to win. Mm -hmm. And you got to have a tough skin. Mm -hmm. Got to have a tough skin. You can't wear your feelings on your shoulders. But you also have to know who you're doing it for. I'm not doing it just for me. I'm doing it for the next person behind me, and I'm doing it for my daughters, and I'm doing it for my grandchildren. I'm doing it for my children's children. If they ever decide to come to Northwest Arkansas, they know that somebody paved the way for them. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. Just applaud you for standing in the fight, sister. Um, switching like just a little bit, uh, just a little bit. So you also, uh, in 2022, I believe, uh, decided to throw your hat in the ring and run for public office. I did. I did. So tell us about that. I want to sit at the table. Mm-hmm. I want to move the needle. Um, one of my biggest mentors and he didn't know it was Muhammad Ali. I like the robot dope. I'ma keep coming for you <laughs> till you get tired. Greatest. I am the greatest. <laughs> I'ma keep coming for you until you get tired. And when you get tired and you worn down I'm gonna knock you out because I'm still coming. <laughs> it takes tough skin yeah. for office. I remember my campaign team talking about um what with my social media presence saying there are some things I need to remove and I was like, what would that be? Like drunken photos, let me help you out. Never had a drink in my life, we ain't gotta worry about that. Nude photos, never posted any of them, I don't have any that I know about. So a lot of people have to worry about the impressions that they're showing before they can even show up. Like, I need to clean up. If you live right, you ain't gotta clean up nothing. Mm -hmm. So that was the first hurdle of talking about. The next is, what were my stump points? What was, what's, what's my stump speech about? What mm -hmm. are the things that mean the most to me? What will always mean the most to me is inclusion mm -hmm. for the disability community. When you have a child and you know she's been told no just because she has a disability, it angers you. Mm. As a mother, the mother bear comes out and goes, how can I fight for her? Because at some point, she doesn't have a voice and doesn't know she needs to even fight mm -hmm. for the yes that she should have received. Mm -hmm. Very high on my top priorities is inclusion and access for everyone. Everyone should have the same access in the community to live a full life. Yeah. That's my goal as a mother, yeah. to make sure at the end of the day She's been able to do, go, see, be anything that she wants to be, yeah. and that her disability didn't hold her back. Yeah. She is not her disability. Her abilities are beyond anything she could ever dream. And I was blessed to have a nurse that told me, if you treat her like she's handicapped, she'll always act that way. If you treat her like she's normal, she'll already act normal. Just know a lot of people forget Anna has Down syndrome because she acts normal all the time. Mm. <laughs> Um, my second one definitely was uh, food insecurity. 
if you think about it, right now we're struggling to get our senators and legislators to vote for the farm bill. The farm bill doesn't just affect farmers, it affects SNAP. Let's talk about who's high on the line of SNAP. Elderly, mm -hmm. disabled, mm -hmm. veterans, homeless, mothers with children, families with children. But you say SNAP or food stamp and people automatically think family with children. Why is it a struggle for them to sign the farm bill mm -hmm. when they know all these populations of individuals will be affected? Mm -hmm. Could you imagine if we lose SNAP tomorrow, how many people will be in that food pantry line? Oh, that'd be crazy. It, I, my prayer is we don't get there. We're very close because they haven't passed it. So it comes up every five years. So that was my second platform was food insecurity. And third is renters' rights. I'm going to try to feel to myself. <laughs> How is it you can live somewhere and they don't have to provide running water? A, I've seen individuals living where their sewage was coming up through their kitchen sink, through their bathroom sink, and they don't have access to brush their teeth, mm. and they're having to go to the store to buy water. And we don't have any renters' rights for you to make a complaint about that mm. in the state of Arkansas. Mm. Wow. No renters' rights. I helped an individual find a place where she put a $1,000 deposit down and her first month rent, and she walked in and flipped on the lights, and there was roaches everywhere. And she said, Monique, I can't put my kids down. Oh my I can't. I can't. So we get on the phone and call the landlord. He goes, you've already made up a deposit. What do you mean? And she goes, can you come over and spray? And he said, no, it's your place. Oh, my God. She goes, I don't have, I just gave him $2,000. Do you think I have money to start bombing this place? She goes, I no longer want to stay there. He gave her $1,000 deposit back and kept her $1,000 first month rent. Mm, mm, mm. Who do you talk to? Who helps you advocate? Even thinking of my counterparts who are Marshallese and Hispanic, how do you sign a rental agreement that's only in English and you speak Spanish? Mm. And you don't know what you're signing or agreeing to. And then they try to evict you and you go, well, I didn't know that was part of it. It's in your rental contract. That was all English. Mm -hmm. There's no applications mm -hmm. in Marshallese. Mm -hmm. How do we advocate for all oppressed mm -hmm. when it comes to renters' rights? It's individuals that are hateful out there that will charge people and tell them to give me cash, and they turn around and go, you ain't never gave me nothing. Mm. And if you say something, I'm going to report you to immigration. Wow. And you just gave him $1,000. Mm. How many steps back do we take in the race? Um, those things, I always ask myself, how would I want someone to treat my mother, my brother, my sister, or my child in those spaces when it comes to renting, to access to food, or even a disability? So those were huge for me that trajected me to say, I want to fight this fight at a different level. Mm. Awesome, awesome. Um, and you also recently, that's recently actually announced the 
introduction of food lockers. That's right. At the outreach center. Food storage lockers. So talk to us uh, about those. Um, Um, Once again, just finding different ways to serve all of our community. We do have a food pantry that's open on Tuesdays and Thursdays. You can drive up and um, that is not client choice. It is a drive up where we pack your food box and hand it to you, but it's more for the protection of of the neighbors. Once again, I have elderly neighbors that's volunteering and don't know if you know, but COVID is back on the rise in our own community, even in our jails, Mm -hmm. uh, COVID is on the rise again. And I, Prior to the pandemic, we had client choice. You come in, choose what you want. We had, we'd partner with you with a personal shopper, and you'd choose your objects, and we'd put it in your box. Now, we just kind of choose all objects and put in your box. You get protein, fruits, vegetables, breads, um, canned goods, dry goods, milk, butter, cheese, all that's kind of put in your box. I wanted to serve my neighbors better. The second platform that we created in partnership with 211 and DoorDash United Way was um, food delivery to impoverished communities that has mobility issues as well as transportation issues. Mm -hmm. So we do food delivery. Um, Trying not to take my eye off the prize and understand what is my whole community looking like there's a working community that's not making it to the end of the month before they run out of money to buy food. Mm-hmm. And so I was, um, I know I can't work six to seven days a week. Jesus didn't work seven days a week. How about that? Mm. <laughs> and I can't do it by myself. So how do I create a platform that is able to serve individuals when I leave at five o'clock or I leave at six or seven. How do I be able to serve someone that says, hey, I just got off work. Am I gonna be able to drive over there every single time? I can't. So um, there was some research done actually by UAMS and in partnership with a grant with U- from UAMS and the walmart.org, they were able to fund the first food storage locker. We did a lot of research, went out to Houston. Houston Food Bank has two food lockers in their area, but it's serving the working poor. It's available 24-7. It has four columns, um, four rows, 16 lockers that could be refrigerated. I can um, request for it to be turned into a freezer, or it can become heated to have hot meals in there. Mm. The one thing that it gives back empowerment to that person to be able to say, I'm going to go online, order my food. It's just like Walmart.com. We have a platform. We have an inventory. You go and you choose your products, put it in a basket, check out of your cart. The cart comes to me. We pack your food box based on what you've selected. Put it in a food box. It sends you a QR code to say your food is ready to be picked up. Come over, scan the food box. Scan the QR code. It tells you what locker it's in. Open the locker, grab your food, close it, and go. That's amazing. Technology yeah. at work. That's right. To help. That's right. The food insecure. Yes. That's incredible. Yeah. That's awesome. Wow. So do you have plans to take this concept other places? I do. In the region. I have visions. I uh-huh. have visions. Now I just need the money. <laughs> <laughs> um, that project was a, 
uh, approximately about $130,000, and that's um, electrical, the install, the food, the admin piece of getting everything up and running. Um, my vision and dream, and God has been so good to bless me to just live my dream of being able to serve someone other than myself. That's on the east side. I'd love to put one on the west side over by the Boys and Girls Club. I'd love to put one out in Winslow in a rural area where Winslow, Greenland, Westford, all of them can come into that space mm-hmm. and be able to get still access to food. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. That is incredible. Well, Monique, this has been an incredible time of conversation. Um, it's been refreshing. Um, as always, whenever I talk to you, I always come away feeling empowered, inspired, challenged, as usual. Um, but thank you for this opportunity. If there is a way for people to reach you, how would they go about um, getting in contact with you, Monique Jones? So you can um, reach me at stjbc.org, which is the historic St. James website. Um, info at squirecenter.com is also a website that we have for the Squire Jahagan Outreach Center, where the food pantry is located. And my own nonprofit is CPR NWA. And I have a website, um, cprnwa.org or .com. Either one will get you to me. Um, I appreciate you having me today. Love to see you. Um, Chris, take a lunch and come volunteer with me. (laughs) (laughs) I volunteered plenty, but I'll sure I'll be back. But thank you again to Monique Jones, um, to our audience. Um, we thank you again for listening. I am Chris Seawood. I am the treasurer of the Northwest Arkansas MLK Council. As always, you can follow us on our social media pages. Follow us on our website, www.nwamlk.org. On behalf of the Beloved Community Podcast, we will see you next time. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah.